I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You're listening to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. Okay, James, it is a early May edition of the Leaf Report podcast. There's nothing going on. Actually, there is something going on. I was going to say that there's nothing going on in the Leaf world, but obviously they need a general manager, and we're not going to talk much about that, do you think? Well, we did the whole last week podcast was all about that, and I think that there's obviously going to be more. We're kind of just waiting to see on the timing of the GM announcement. Like, I think it could be relatively quick, so I don't know that it makes a lot of sense to keep speculating, keep speculating. I'm fairly sure it's going to be Kyle Dubas, but, you know, the reports out there are that Shanahan has been doing the interviews. It sounds like my my guess is that he has to do some kind of interview process as the way MLSE is structured as a corporate entity. And I wouldn't be surprised if he just interviews uh, Mark Hunter and Kyle Dubas and then makes a decision. And then we'll find all like the reverberations from that at some point. I guess we won't know that for a while. But anyway, we'll talk about that when it actually happens. Uh, you asked some questions or you asked for questions on Twitter. So let's go through some questions around the team just because we're heading into the offseason. We're in the offseason for the Leafs. I have a whole list of them that you've singled out. Are you ready to go? Yeah, I'm just going to read them out here. Okay. But I already wrote them down. Well, you didn't write down the actual question. Oh, okay, fine. Go ahead. Ryan Greer asks, what are the biggest lessons you think that Mike Babcock takes away from this season? Do you want to start or do you want me to go first? Go ahead. I think what was interesting for me with him is is what happened mid-season, like late January when they changed their lineup and he stopped playing Frederick Gauthier, he stopped playing Matt Martin, and he went to this speedier, more skilled lineup where he had Kapanen on the fourth line and it kind of changed their team. Like I think you pointed out in one of your stories at the end of the year that they went from being like a, a 97-ish point pace team to like 119 or something crazy like that so I would think that that reinforced or would have to reinforce to him that 
that's what they need to be. They can't stop. They, like, they, you can't be, like, to use the phrase that you used in one of your stories, there's no halfway measures. Like, you can't just kind of straddle the line. If you're going to be this fast team, be a fast team. And I, and to me, if I was him, that would be something that was reinforced. They have to better, I think I wrote this, I think I got tired of writing it. They have to, they have to, he has to coach to their strengths is what he has to do. And it it's almost like the Leafs, uh, Ian talked to a great piece where he talked about there were three different Leafs teams. There was, the beginning when they were just lighting teams up in the first month of the season. And then they went, it seemed like the system changed to where it became like a very more like the breakouts changed the way that they were doing it. It was kind of flipping it out and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden he changed the roster and it felt like that at the end, when he went with the speedier lineup that you're talking about, that it didn't make sense to have that kind of flip it out breakout Mm -hmm. system with that speedier roster. So he kind of ended up with this like kind of like, I wonder one of the main questions I would have for Babcock in the offseason, it would be, I, I hope we can talk to him in the offseason. I hope you and I can. Maybe we'll go down to Detroit and talk to him. I have, We haven't asked the Leafs yet, but I think we will, and hopefully they'll say yes. Um, one of the things I would ask Mike Babcock is, will you change the system that your team plays next year? And I guess it's hard for him to answer until we know who's on the roster. Mm-hmm. I've been looking at some things that the Leafs could do in terms of their roster composition and free agency and trades and that, and they could have a very different looking team depending on who they get at on defense at uh third line center quote unquote um but I, I i what i would be interested for babcock to take out of this and learn is maybe the system that he had them playing wasn't the right one for the personnel he's got hmm. well one of the things you're going to get into this you're writing a story about it the the cap room that they're going to have in the summer and to your point, like he was asked during the end of season press conference, is William Nylander going to be your, going to be a center next year? And he said, well, I don't really know because I don't know who we're going to get in the off season. I don't want you to spoil the piece that you're working on, but people obviously know that they're going to have a lot of cap space. I guess the thing that I would worry about if I was them is just because you have cap space doesn't mean you just spend it to spend it. Only if you can kind of get those elite guys like Tavares Carlson like if you don't get those guys I don't know what you spend it on like a just short-term contracts to kind of fill space a little bit yeah so my counterpoint to that is like the Leafs have a so much cap space like it is more than people think I was looking at it as like like if they can get rid of Matt Martin and do a couple of small things and not overspend on they only have three RFAs to sign like there's not a lot going on there's it's Carrick Nylander and, and Andres Janssen there's not going to be like they're going to max at like eight, eight and a half million on those three guys. Um, if you have all of that money, you got to spend it on something. Like you can't just go into the year like at the floor. Of course not. But like I guess what you do is you just sign guys to short term contracts who help make you better, right? Like you, you, yeah. Like when you have when you have that much cap space, you're just trying to improve your roster. But not. I guess what I'm saying is like don't just shove puzzle pieces in there and go crazy just because you have room does that make sense i mean i'm kind of leaning towards like ideally you could sign a bunch of guys on one-year deals but that might not be possible so if that's not possible then you sign guys on two or three-year deals and then you deal with the cap ramifications next summer but see that's what i would worry about is like you're locking in players who are you know what i mean like when it gets it gets harder next year don't give them no trade clauses is like you can't you're not gonna be able to give no trade no move clauses and you're gonna you're gonna have one year with these pieces in place that that's probably what makes the most sense if you're signing free agents but it's interesting looking 
So the reason we're talking about this is because we're talking about Babcock and lessons he can learn and how things are going to change. Who they have as their next center changes dramatically what the lineup could be. Because we're looking at anybody. It could be Longshot, but it could be Tavares. It could be Joe Thornton. It could be Paul Stastny. It mm-hmm. could be someone uh, like Riley Nash, who's more of like a depth uh, defensive third line center type. Who, who am I missing that could potentially be a center? I have the list in front of me. There's not a lot there. Like no. a lot of the guys that we saw as fits, like Michael Backlund, Lars Eller, they were signed. So there's just not – these aren't centers. I need to sort it. <laughs> I'm looking on cap friendly. Uh, center. You also got RFA and UFA. Okay, is- well, we're, we're trying to record a podcast here, so I'm trying to do both things at, at once. But basically there's not, there's not a ton. There's not a lot of options. You see what I'm saying? There's not. There's just not that much. Um, so one because we're into this already, one of the other questions we got, and unfortunately, oh here we go. I have it. William asks uh, third line centers for next year: Riley Nash, Bozak, Nylander. Um, you know, the, the I think you aim for all of those higher guys I talked about. Like I think you you look at Thornton and Stastny and and Joe uh, and and Tavares, and if you miss on all of those, then you're into your Plan B options. Well, your plan B option is Neander. Like, if you're not getting one of the, if you're not getting, and I know you and I disagree on this. Like, there, there's no world I don't think where you sign 32 year old Paul Stasny to a five or six year no, deal. But two or three, two or three. But years. why would he do that? He's he's like the the well, second best that, center. He just did that his last deal. This is different. This is like big payday, and I, I believe he would have been. I can look at his contracts, but anyway, if you're not getting one of those guys, William Neander is probably your center. Like one of the questions you got was, would you rather have the Leafs re-sign Bozak or move Neander to center? And I think the answer is pretty clear at this point. Like the answer is to move Neander to center. I guess the, the the part about that that's difficult is then you're breaking up like one of the most potent. Uh, duos in the nhl in that case and and like maybe it's not worth it like maybe you, you come to the realization that you'd rather have neander and matthews play together than have neander operating on his own line the other thing i wonder too jonas is if you do that if do you need to add a winger then in free agency or via trade oh yeah you yeah. do yeah and so you know then you're yeah so it'd be interesting if and then, like we're t- like, who are you going to get as a good winger on a one year contract? You know, you're going to be looking at giving term to someone there too, right? Well, and this is where like you and I discussed it at one point on the podcast a while ago. When you lose all those players, like you lose Van Riemsdyk, Bozak, Komarov, like suddenly your depth isn't you're not as deep because like now you're having to move up Janssen, now you're having to move up Kapanen, and so maybe those guys just end up being top nine forwards, and like you're just filling your bottom lines with young, small, speedy guys? I don't know. Like, I guess it depends on who the GM is. Well, what, I think you got to try and go after all of the high-end options in free agency. And I think you I think you go after Paul Stastny and see if you can get him on a shorter-term deal. I mean... But why would Paul Stastny sign a shorter-term deal? Like, I don't I just don't understand that. Maybe he wants to play for a team that's going to win? I mean, I'm talking like a three... Didn't he sign a three-year deal last time, I think? With, Four. With St. Louis? Four. Right. And I remember that that surprised people that... He signed for a shorter term deal, four by seven. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, that's what puts the Leafs in a tough position is that they're going to run in. I, mean, I guess you can get Thornton on a one year deal, but Thornton's had the injury problems and he's mm-hmm. getting up there. 
That that might make a lot of sense too. Well, that's it. Basically, it's the same thing that they explored last summer, where you bring Thornton in. He's Tyler Bozak, basically. You load him up with offensive zone starts. You play him on the power play, and that's what you do. And like suddenly, I don't know. It's the same sort of dynamic, in that you're not asking him to do too much. You're not asking him to play against like the best competition. And maybe like you can sell him on playing with Marlowe again, playing in Toronto, boosting. I don't know. Like they, they just went out in the second round. Like maybe he wants a change. I don't know. Right. And and Thornton took a one year deal last year for eight million. So that the Leafs can definitely overspend on one year deals if anyone's willing to do it with them. Or maybe you sign like you, you mentioned like going out and signing a winger. Like I don't know. Maybe you look at James Neal and sign him to a short term deal. Like do any of these guys like Patrick Maroon, Rick Nash. Ilya Kovalchuk. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, anyway, we're, we're drifting off track. We'll, we'll talk about free agency more. Let's get back to some of these questions. One of the questions was, I'm paraphrasing. Do you want to go to it? Okay. I have it here. Jimmy asks, what was the biggest difference between the Leafs and the Lightning and how they played against Boston? Because obviously, um, that's the question. But I, obviously, Tampa knocked the Bruins out in five games and the Leafs lost to the Bruins in seven games. So I think part of it, just before you weigh in part of it is that the Bruins were beat up and had a lot of injuries and were tired and had a crazy end of their season and I think we saw in game six and game seven uh Leafs Bruins that Boston was looking starting to look tired out as that series wore on and uh Tampa played the games I saw it was very physical against the Bruins and hmm. not a huge team up front but they beat up Boston and um, they have a lot of firepower, and I mean the, the the Lightning are a great team. I mean that's they have a great roster, and they added McDonough to it, and they could win the cup here. Well, and they made the like you mentioned, like they're a great team. You add McDonough, you also had JT Miller. Like the, yeah. their depth is just better than Toronto. Doesn't Miller have like a point a game in the playoffs? Like he's looked really, really good. I think I you know his numbers have been great. That's another thing that I'm going to get into in my cap piece that we haven't talked about, but. Um, there are going to be players probably like JT Miller. Like the Lightning could potentially have a hard time keeping him. So I think he's signed for one more year after this. I think I can look it up. We we, we do RFA. have this capability. I think he's RFA. Okay, maybe that, but they still have control potentially over him. Yeah, and that's like that's one of the things like going back to like Dubis and and him potentially being the GM. Like Steve Eiserman has done all these things where he has just like not only improved them today, he's improved them down the line. You know what I mean? Like you trade Jonathan Drouin, and not only do you make your team better in adding Sergachev, Sergachev's on an entry-level deal. You know what I mean? Like you control him for a while. You trade for McDonough, you add JT Miller. You know what I mean? Like they're just all these moves that have double benefit. I actually think the biggest thing that they've got going is that their system is so good. Like Braden Point comes in, Sorelli comes in and looks great. Yanni Gord has been outstanding. Like they, they keep bringing these pieces in these young pieces that just overperform what anyone expects of them. And like, like their depth is so good right now. Well, and that's why like they can afford, I think, you know, Babcock has talked a lot about this more last year than this year, that Tampa could afford to have these injuries and bring guys up and then they can trade some of these prospects like that trade for McDonough. Like you had reported at the time that the Leafs were kind of in the fringe of that conversation. Tampa had enough to give up. Where they could give up Nemestikov, they could give up some prospects, and still be a really good team. You look at the Leafs organizationally; they can't afford to give up very much, 
and still be good now. Do you know what I mean? Like that's one of the challenges this summer if you're going to get a defenseman is they just don't have a lot like yeah. to trade. That's what I was going to say is that so if you don't like the options in free agency and let's face it there's not a there's not a ton like after Stastny, Thornton, Tavares, you're running into problems in center at center in free agency and I don't think they're going to bring Bozak back. So that probably defaults to, like you said, that Nylander is going to have to be the third line center if they can't get one of those guys. The problem is if you say, you know, I've seen fans have asked me, you know, okay, so free agency isn't that appealing for defense and, and centers. Maybe we have to go the trade route. Okay, you go the trade route. What are you going to give up? What are the Leafs going to give up? They don't have, the Marlies are a very good team, but I don't see... Like, like, who, what are they going to trade from there? What's valuable, right? What, what's going to get you a second-line center or a, a top four, ideally a top 2D, of what the Leafs have? Lilgren? Oh. Are you going to trade Lilgren? Right, so if I'm an opposing GM and, and Toronto comes to me and says, I want this, I'm going to look at their team and I'm going to be like, okay, let's let's start with Lilgren. Let's t- look at Dermott. Let's look at Kapanen. Let's look at Janssen. We're going to start there. And the Leafs are going to be like, well, if we trade those guys, are we any further ahead? And so then the team is going to be like, okay, well, you don't have enough. And and if you want draft picks, you're not deep enough to really afford to – like yeah. that's that's where you can go back and look at those two trades for fourth-line centers, Boyle and Placanitz, and say, I get it at the time, and I, I agree with the move, but like is it worth it because actually, you're yeah. – you're short. I actually think the Boyle one was more defensible than Plakanich because they might they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs without Boyle. So at least then you can say they get that experience and they take the step forward and whatever. I mean, I guess if you don't have Plakanich, you're not even in that Bruins series, and they almost ended up winning it, and he helped them get to that point. But yeah, but you can also make the case that that Dominic Moore, Dominic Moore probably couldn't have done that. But the difference between Dominic Moore and Thomas Pekanitz at this point is probably not a lot. Like, right. Pekanitz is probably better, but right. how much? And then, I mean, then the counterpoint to that is you were talking about late second-round picks. like Yeah, and, and like all these, like, the stats basically show after the, I think it's like the top 25 pick, like, the chances of getting, like, an impact NHL are drops off the board. Anyway, next question. What, what's the one that I have on the board that, oh, okay, Here, here's one from Colin Laurie. Um, what are the odds that the Leafs, could maybe miss the playoffs next season if Florida, Montreal, and Buffalo all get better and the Leafs regress due to the fact they're losing JVR and Bozak and Komarov. I mean, I think that the odds are very small, but the thing is in this league is that it is so unpredictable. Like, look at what's happening in the playoffs with Vegas. And Winnipeg didn't make the playoffs last year, right? Like, Winnipeg wasn't in the playoffs, and now they could win the Stanley Cup this year. So Tampa didn't make the playoffs last year, and now they could win this. I think those are probably the two favorites right now is Winnipeg and Tampa. Mm -hmm. And they could win the Stanley Cup this year. So you can never say never. If the Leafs miss the playoffs next year, it's a massive disappointment. And I think one of the one of the reasons why is their division sucks. And I don't really see do you see Florida, Montreal, Buffalo coming hard? Not I mean Montreal's gonna make a hard push for Tavares. Not good enough. Buffalo's like Buffalo's gonna get Dalene. Still not good enough. It's not going to happen. Like they're too, they're too talented. I mean, you saw this year they lost Matthews for twenty games and they still made the playoffs comfortably. So I guess I don't know. I mean, every how much you, of a drop you lose, off is you lose Riley for sixty games or something? Or I don't know. But I mean, Tampa's a good example. Like Tampa just had an insane amount of injuries last year right. and missed the playoffs and almost but made. Trying it. to predict that is a waste of time, it's right? Stupid. But uh, I don't think that those teams in the Atlantic. No. are big threats like the Leafs sh- sh- 
maybe one of them surprises. Like there's always surprise. I think you could you could put Tampa, Boston, Toronto in any kind of order. Like I, any of those teams, I could see winning well, the division. Detroit and Ottawa are no contest, right? So right. you know it's in Montreal's not good. Like that's not well. Change. They they have probably even more cap room than the Leafs, and they are going to try and spend it. And well, they, as we know, they spend it wisely, right? <laughs> well, I mean, they're going to be able to offer Tavares more than anyone. So the question for him is going to be, do I want to go there? And like he likes Carey Price, he likes Shea Weber. I just don't understand. Like though, you talk to people about Tavares, and they say like he really wants to win. I just don't know how yeah. you could look at that roster and say that that's going to win. Well, I think it could be like Stamkos, where it's like. The other teams bidding have problems with them. Like, don't you remember Stamkos? It was like Detroit wanted him, Buffalo wanted him, the Leafs at the time were not very good and wanted mm-hmm. him. Or I can stay in Tampa and try and win. Well, it's usually shitty teams or really young teams that, that have cap. space. Yeah. Well, San Jose is going to have a lot of cap space too, so that could potentially be a team for Tavares. I mean, look at the teams that are going to line up for Tavares that can give him like a ridiculous amount of money. Well, I think Craig Custins also mentioned Chicago. I don't know how that would work, how they would create space, but. Yeah, I don't Chicago's that's gonna be a that's gonna be a spicy meatball for Bowman to try and figure out there. Maybe they can sign Tavares and then trade Taves to Toronto. Ooh, here we go. Rumors. I hear he's a good man. Yeah, he's also signed for a crazy amount. Uh, so, so I guess basically we don't think the Atlantic Division's very good and we think the Leafs are gonna be okay next year to make the playoffs, but they have a lot of really big roster decisions to make right now. Mm-hmm. Do you have the next question or do you want me to preview it? Something about the captaincy was good. I think someone asked you, do you want to find it? It was about Patrick Marlowe. Yeah, hold on. The problem is that we got so many questions. and I basically know the question. I guess you just want the name. Well, I don't know. It's just like good to read it the way that it was phrased. So I'll just stall here. here. I okay. It. Jeremy Davis says, why not make Patty Marlowe captain for at least the next two years? He's the most qualified. He can handle the position. And it takes the question about Matthews out of the equation for at least two years, allows him to stay focused on getting better and developing his game. I've gotten that from quite a few people over the last couple of weeks. Um, okay, I've dug into Patrick Marlowe's background quite a bit since yeah, he got here. The, the period when he was captain was not great. No, and he is not a... He is a really good leader in that he just does his work. And so like, if you want like your young players to just watch a guy who just does his work, perfect. But if you want Patrick Marlowe to be like the face of your team, the voice of your team, the guy who's going to, you know, inspire your team vocally and come out after games and say, like, we need to play better, that is not Patrick Marlowe at all. He is very, very, very quiet. He's just like a very. Emphasis on very. Like, it's. He's like, even talking one on one, he's just like a really quiet guy. Yeah. I remember one of my dad's friends golfed with Patrick Marlowe somewhere. I think it was in Saskatchewan or something. He got put on like a foursome with him. And he said he was so impressed with just how genuine and, and kind and nice Patrick Marlowe was, but that he like hardly said it. Mm-hmm. Like you do, you spend a whole day with him, like playing golf and whatever. And he almost like, he's just very, very, he's a very understated, yes. good person. And it's, I think it's really funny that the young guys in the Leafs love him so much and has spent all the time with them and everything. Yeah. And there, there's, I think that there's probably like a, a fun-loving side to Marlowe that maybe we don't see in the media, but sure. he's he's just he's a he's a very kind, genuine person. Well, but, and there's like there's no ego on, no, him, right. on him at that's, all. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Like and he so, he does not carry himself like a Hall of Fame NHL superstar yes. player. He, that's just not who he is. Right. Like you talk to people who he grew up with, um, and they would tell you like during the summers, if you didn't know he played in the NHL, you'd have no idea. Yeah, that's what my dad's friend said. Yep. And you see him like so anyway. He's not a good fit. 
to be the captain. He is a perfect guy to wear an alternate letter. Like what what will happen next year, I would presume. If you don't make Matthews a captain, they just have Matthews wear an alternate letter for a year and you push it one year down the line and it's just Riley, Marlowe, and Matthews. So now the question you're, is you're saying no captain. Well, so now that's my question is do you think the time is now to give it to him? And I thought the most interesting point that Mike Babcock made about this was he he kind of gave you an insight into what they were thinking. And he said, Do you really do you want to add that onto somebody else's plate like on top of everything that they've already got do you want to add that and obviously he wasn't asked specifically about Matthews but he's talking about Matthews and he's saying do you want to give him that extra responsibility on top of all the other pressures he probably feels after the way the playoffs went I would probably say no and I wrote last year that I thought Matthews was going to be the captain and was going to you know be ready for that um but you know Toronto's Toronto's a spicy meatball like it's it's hard to play for the Leafs sometimes and Mm -hmm. it's hard when you don't succeed and I think Matthews can handle it but maybe you don't want to do too much too quickly well why if if you if you're not sure why force it like I know we we have this obsession sometimes in Toronto that you need a captain what really changes like so he'll have a seat like I I guess I'm saying is not it's not going to change anything to not have a captain for a year whereas have there been any young like there's been a trend in the NHL the last like five seven years of naming really young players to the captaincy? I was going to say, have any of them run into big problems in that role? I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Like it seems like the players are coming into the league. Well, there's a good example in Edmonton with Connor McDavid. He was obviously the youngest captain in NHL history. And you remember last year, or I guess this year at the beginning of the year, there was that incident with practice where they were going to cancel a practice or something like that. I don't know. I don't know if that stuff matters. I just don't know if it's a big enough deal that you but force it before it's time. I, well, I kind of think Connor McDavid's done well in the captaincy. I mean, like, I don't, I don't think he, his leadership or his play or any of that stuff has is the problem in Edmonton. The problem is they're not good enough. He was awesome this year. He was management's done a poor job. And but I'm they, saying, like, what what really changes by making him the captain? I don't know. Like so, like you're 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 basically just officially saying he is our leader, which he already is. So maybe given everything that happened this year, you say, you know what, we don't want to just add that We're an just a. yet. We're yeah. an A for yeah. a year. Get used to becoming more and more often like the the person people expect to hear from at, at critical points. I don't know inside the room. I'm not sure that it matters as much as we think. Um, this person wants to ask, what, what, this is not on our list, but I think we should talk about it. Uh, what's the better piece? Uh, Magic Mitch wants to know, who's the better piece for the Leafs? Uh, Tavares at seven years at 11 million or John Carlson for seven years at 7 million? Which one would you pick? Tavares. Yeah. Tavares, like the, the thing is, it's so fascinating. You get him and it changes everything. They become just, they're already pretty hard to match up with. They become impossible to match up with. Like if you're an opposing coach and you've got Tavares on one line, Matthews on one line, Kadri on one line, and then you've got Marner and Neilander kind of scattered in different places, how do you pick? And so like you're deciding, okay, well, you know, Tavares is the best player of that bunch. Then you're giving Matthews second pairs, third pairs. Ice time for all those centers. I'm just like doing the math in my head, and it's like your fourth line center is going to play like five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, and like 
Maybe late in games you throw Matthews on the left wing with Tavares or Tavares on the left wing. There's just so many possibilities. Like you can play Neander with Matthews. You can play Neander with Tavares. You can play Marner with Tavares. Like you, there's just you just become a force. And what you can do with that is you can change the responsibilities. Like suddenly you could give Matthews the easiest matchups mm-hmm. and give Kadri and Tavares the really hard ones. Mm-hmm. Like there's just I don't know. It just completely changed their world. Tavares would or Carlson would help your D. It but almost, he doesn't change your world like Tavares does. It almost seems like people are underrating Tavares's ability or something. Like he's not old. He's one of the best. Well, he's a, 10 I believe he's a year younger than Stamkos when he was UFA. He's, he's he's young. He's still unbelievable. He's just been on a bad team and had to carry a lot of bad players and they've had bad goalies there and bad defensemen there and you put him on a good team in a bigger market and and I don't mean market by how many people live there. I mean, like, how prominent the team is. I think Tavares, you know, he could win the Hart Trophy. Like, he he is so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, he almost won a Hart Trophy with the Islanders. Right. So, like, the, the answer is Tavares. I guess the question then becomes, like, the number. Like, that's why whoever, who wrote that question? Magic Mitch? Magic Mitch pointing out, like, the difference in the number. You're giving Carlson 7, and you're giving Tavares 11. And his Twitter handle is Matty Austins. So this is a big... Uh, it looks like it looks like his Twitter picture is Mitch Marner signing a contract or something. So. I guess the question I would have is, is if you're Tavares, how much do you want? Like, because you're a UFA, you could basically ask for whatever you want. Like, you can ask for more than... McDavid, you can ask for yeah. thirteen. I'm, I'm not sure. Get you, it? You might end up in Montreal or like somewhere you don't want to end up. But you could ask for twelve. You uh-huh. can ask, like, you know what I mean? Like, and then you looked into the cap implications. When do you remember when it starts to make a difference for them? Obviously, it's oh, next year. Yeah, this year it's totally fine. This year you can have Tavares and Matthews and whatever you you could you could sign. I was thinking about this with the cap piece I'm, where I'm working on. You could sign Tavares and Carlson for this coming season, and you're and you're fine. Like they have enough cap space to do that. Um, just having Tavares on the books, though, after because Matthews and Marner's contracts are going to come on 2019-2020, um, it gets real tight. It gets really hard to fill out your blue line properly and make the team better. So you end up having really awesome forwards and a mediocre blue line, right? If you keep, I remember that. If you keep Marner and Matthews and Nylander and Tavares and Kadri, yeah, you're like your D is... You know, how are you going to keep Gardner? And then who are you going to replace Gardner with? And, you know, and can you win with a blue line that's going to be like a bunch of guys making two, three, three and a half million plus Riley? You'd have to be like, you'd have to be finding gems in free agency over and over again or, or drafting. They'd have to draft another really good defenseman in the first round this year. Well, I guess the idea would be in 2019, Lilligren would, would presumably be, yeah. Dermot and Lilligren would have to be in your top four. Right. And then you just have to fill out your bottom pair with whoever yeah like a log that costs league minimum like whatever a, a pylon with skates on it <laughs> do you think that guy would sign here <laughs> yeah. uh a couple more questions i think there was one about garrett sparks do you want there, to find there that are one multiple ones about garrett sparks so he has obviously had a very good year with the toronto marlies he I think the question is whether he's going to be the backup basically next year. Here's one. Will Sparks' success move him or McElhaney into trade talks? Got two great backups. That's what Brian says. I don't know about trade talks. I don't know that there's going to be teams lining up to 
to trade for these guys. I mean, maybe if some team wants a backup and they want to trade for Sparks, I don't think anybody's trading for Curtis McElhinney. The thing that Vegas decided going into the expansion draft is they could have picked a bunch of goalies. They could have taken Grubauer and, and a bunch of... Well, remember, of... that was what people thought they would do. I thought they might do it. But they evaluated it and they thought, you know what? Trying to trade a backup goalie, you're not going to get a lot back for them. So they took a bunch of defensemen and they didn't get a lot back for some of those defensemen like Schlemko and Emelin and whatever. Um, but if you look at the backup goalie trade market, you, like it's like third round picks and stuff. Like So... I think that Calvin Pickard and, and Sparks and McElhinney can all play in the NHL as backup goalies. But the problem is trying to trade them, you're not going to get much. And they're all going to have to go through waivers uh, after camp. So uh, to me, I think I want Sparks on the team next year. And, and then if you lose McElhinney or, or uh, maybe trade McElhinney for a fourth round pick or something, what would you do? It's a good question. The only thing I, in my like mind, and I don't know if this is fair and I don't know if this is right, but Sparks came up that one time when the team sucked and he wasn't great. He got the Matthews. Yes, sure. With Mike Babcock, yes. <laughs> With Mike Babcock, first impressions are hard to... what The GM decides the goalies, not the, co- not the coach. Yeah, but the the coach in this case is going to have a say on who's on his team, right? No? I I guess, but... I guess I'm saying it is if the choice is between one of those three, and Babcock in his head has... He knows, obviously, Sparks had a fantastic year. He was good in, in preseason, too. He yeah. was good, yeah. But there's that first impression. Then there's, like, he's a different kind of personality. We know Mike is kind of... I don't know. That's just in my mind that I'm not sure that he would be a Mike kind of guy maybe not that's not that might not be fair but that's just a reality i I look at the numbers that that sparks had this year and you would be foolish not to a give him a chance or like you can't just trade him or waive him without giving him a shot in the nhl because he might be a really good goalie and the other thing too is that the the argument is that anderson played too much they need someone that can take something off anderson's plate and i don't think mcelhaney's the guy regardless of how good his numbers were I agree with that completely, but well, maybe. So but so maybe it's Calvin Calvin so Pickard. Maybe Pickard. Well, then you Pack, can... Pickard obviously has a, a more extensive track record in the uh, NHL than than Sparks, and that's through no fault of Sparks. But at least there's like a track record there where he's played a bunch of games. There's a track record that is just okay that says he's just like another guy. He was playing for like the worst team in so in league history, but. That was like a 48-point team. Yeah, but... Oh, now the other phone's going here. Hang on, we have to pause. We're back. Your phone rang. What were you saying? Pickard, Sparks? Um, Pickard has played more in the AHL and the NHL than Sparks. I think we have a better idea of what Pickard is and what his ceiling is. I think that Sparks' ceiling is potentially higher. And I think... you, The least... Like, backup goalie is a risk that an area where you can have a little bit of risk, I think. And they should bet on upside. I would just keep all of them. And, and then it, maybe you lose one through waivers. And I'm fine losing McElhaney, obviously, through waivers. The whatever. thing I like about that is that you're going to have a good third goalie, too. I think that more teams need to focus on having a good third goalie because starters get hurt all of the time. Well, especially when they're playing 65 games. Do you think that will change next year? Like, do you think this this whole I'm only using the backup on back, uh, back-to-backs is going to be gone? 
I guess with it the, should be. It should like they should, even if they take Anderson down to like fifty eight or fifty six starts or whatever. I think that that's the sweet spot. I think that you want to be in like the fifty five range for your starter. Even if they bring him down to like fifty nine or sixty, that makes more sense. Like, Most teams use their starter around sixty games. Yeah, a little bit more usually. Do you want me no. to see? Yeah, I can. Well, look. I think the average is like in the fifties. Like if you look at every single number one in, around the league. I mean, how many goalies played sixty? How many goalies started sixty plus games what, this this season, year? This season, I have it I right here. It's sixteen, nine. So there you go. Like exactly, and part of it's injuries. So sixteen, fifty-five plus starts is sixteen goalies. Yep. I mean, like you can look at some of these examples. Some guys got hurt. Uh, but like Tuka Ras started 53 times. I think he got hurt for a bit. I think he wasn't good for a bit and Kudobin started a bit. You're more of a baseball guy than I am, like way more. Yeah. Um, there's this trend now where the starters are playing a lot less. Like they're coming out of games earlier and their relievers are coming in earlier and playing a lot more. Oh, it's completely changed. It's insane. I think that that can happen with goalies. I think that as the – as you, like if, if there were – if the backups got better to the point where there wasn't that much difference between backups and starters – teams would start playing backups way more well they just got to a point in baseball where it was thought that you'd rather have fresh like specialists for the six seven eight and nine than like a guy who's thrown his 90th pitch you know what i mean like not only that but the interesting thing that i read about that buster only had a piece on the weekend that was really good about this that i read and he was talking about how when you go through the lineup the third or the fourth time not only are you fatigued with the batters have seen the pitcher mm-hmm. already and but I think with goalies like goalie fatigue is a real thing. Scott Wheeler did a, a nice piece before the playoffs if people didn't see it about Anderson and how much better he was when he was rested than when he was tired. Makes a huge difference. So I think that if NHL teams start analyticing analyticing the shit out of goalies, they will see that when a goalie has two or three days rest, he's way better and they will start to just do that with a goalie every single time. Well, so Anderson started 66 times this year, and they cut out two starts at the end because they had the spot clinched. So if you took 10 starts away, 8 to 10 starts away, and give them to Sparks or Pickard, that would make a lot of sense. Like, the point is, like, and I wrote about this before the playoffs, the point is to have a goalie who can play into June. So, like, why are you burning him out into April when you want him to play two more months? What they did in March in the beginning of April made no sense. Like, yeah, I, I do not understand what they were doing. And even they did the same thing with Hainsey and, like, and they didn't change the minutes on guys. And I don't really understand. I'm, I think Hainsey was, was worn out. I, I, I talked to him on the locker cleanout day and I said, were you tired? And he basically said yes. That's what I, they're in the first round. Well, that's what happens when you're using a 37-year-old on your top pair and killing him like a million minutes on the penalty kill. Yesterday on Twitter or or, or on the weekend, I guess. Um, yesterday was the weekend. Um, there was this debate about were the Bruins tired when they lost to Tampa. And Glenn Wesley, you know Glenn Wesley, the defenseman, mm-hmm. he responded on Twitter to me and he said something like, you shouldn't be tired, it's only the second round or whatever. And it's, but guys, like if How are we feeling? We were exhausted. Yeah, we were, and we're not playing. Yeah. Well, we so, did we did drive from Boston to Toronto. <laughs> between yeah, that was game, fun. Between game two and three, don't pretend that was fun. That was not fun. I had fun, and I was driving. Okay, one more question before we go. Um, I think I don't even need your your Twitter to find it. It, it was which current Leaf will be the best media member? Was it something like that? 
Oh, see, you said you didn't need it. Well, this is close enough. It, it, it said which current leaf is most likely to work in the media after. I think there's a slam dunk choice. Who, who do you think? JVR? Kadri, oh. by far. Do you think he'll like work in the media, though? No, no but I think he'd be awesome. No, we got to pick guys that are like... And that's the other thing, too, is I don't know if JVR... JVR would want to be like a coach or something. I don't think he would want to be like on camera. you got to think, like, Kadri's not going to do that. Kadri's going to, like... I don't know what post NHL. He's gonna own a restaurant, or he's gonna like he's gonna do something that own a club, or like he'll do something that's like cool and fun, and he'd just be really good on TV. Luke would be good at TV. I know he's not a Leaf anymore, but yeah, he would be. Is there anybody else that we're not thinking of? Uh, None of their defensemen I would want on TV. I don't think. No, I'm looking at the roster. There's nobody. No. The Patrick Marlowe hour. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Anything else you want to talk about? See Josh Levo on the roster, Dominic Moore, Connor Brown? No. So it's interesting that they have all of this cap space and they have most of a team built already. Like, they have something like 25... I'm going to write the story. I'm still working on it. They have something like $25 million to spend, and that's with Nylander signed, and that's with... That they only have four or five open roster spots, but the thing is, is that some of them are very important. One is a right defenseman, and one is a center. And not only are they important, they're people know this. They're incredibly difficult to fill. So it's they're in such a unique situation this summer. Which do you think is harder to fill the the right D or the center? I think defense is way harder. Yeah, because like it's not ideal, but I think Nylander can be a th- third center and you just shelter him and you're fine. And then, you know, you even if you were talking about bringing in another winger, you know, they they they're going to need some more forward depth. I you were talking about how not having JVR and Bozak and uh, Komarov hurts them in terms of of losing that that forward depth, but I think it's the right decision. Like I think that they need Of course it is, but I think they need to re- rearrange what they're doing up front. I think that th- this gives a new GM a chance to really put his stamp on the forwards and, and I think make them better. Well, but it, it also does make them worse. Like you go from having two potentially what, what, really. What there's nothing. Add, you, no, 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 no. There's add. nothing you can do. Like it's what you do. You're not, you're not going to sign these guys just because. Because, but like you're sec- suddenly you go from having two potentially really good power plays to having one. Like you have a Matthews unit, or maybe you play them on separate units. Maybe you have Neander and Matthews on one, and Marner and Kadri and, and those guys on another. Maybe like you can still have two good units, but like your depth of talent isn't as good. It's just natural. Not if you had Tavares or Joe Thornton or like like it's it's possible. Yeah, but those are that's just one position. Like you still have to fill other parts of the roster. Yeah, but they've got Kapanen and like I think Janssen is better than Komarov, you know. I mean well, but Komarov by the end was a fourth liner. Like I think if you had a third line, let's say of Janssen, Nylander, Kapanen, that's good. Like you can shelter that line. Then you have a question of who plays with Matthews, and then you, like who's on your fourth line. But like that's less. Like the fourth line is is I less. Don't think, well, you're arguing that their forwards get worse next year, and I don't think that that's necessarily true. Tell me how it's not. Like because so, you, it, because they can potentially they've got all this cap space to add forwards to make their forwards better. Than who them. did you look at the right wingers who are available? It's how, it's how good, how good are Uncle Leo and Bozak at this point in their career? Like they're negative assets on your bottom six forwards. I think that's Komarov's on your fourth line. It's that's okay. why you're getting better because you're subtracting two of your weakest forwards that are causing where you problems you, on on in your own you, end. Where you're replacing the 36 goals of Van Riemsdyk. Well, if you get Tavares, like it changes. 
obviously. Because I, then, even like, if that... you can get, like, a Stastny or a Thornton or, like, some of the wingers that are available. Okay, so you get Thornton. Like, you still I have other Andreas, positions to fill. Andreas Janssen proved at the end of the year that he should be in the top nine and is going to produce. Sure. But, like, there's... Okay, but there's other... There's a fourth line. Neander being at center wing changes things. Like, there's lots of things that could make them not as deep. And, like, suddenly you don't have Andreas Janssen and Kapanen on your fourth line. They're on your third line. So now your fourth line's worse. And the other th- argument you can make with Van Riemsdyk is if you give those minutes with those players on the top power play unit, how many goals are they going to score? To what degree is he producing those 36 goals in the opportunities that he got over what the other another player is going to do? Well, I think he, he had nine power play goals, something like that. Right. Or maybe it was a little more. So, so someone else in that net front spot, how many are they going to score? I don't know. That's not. You're underestimating how. I think that's that, hard. I think if he's really good at that, if they make a smart addition, especially at center, I think their forwards get better next year. I think if they get Tavares, their forwards get better, and if they don't get Tavares, I don't see what world you're living in. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. I just think they have a big opportunity with. I just think the puzzle pieces change completely if you don't get Tavares, because suddenly you probably have to use Neander at center, which means you're weaker at wing. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Because like, then you're having to move someone up to play with Matthews. And then you're having to move up Kapanen and Janssen. Like, you're just not as deep. What about playing Janssen with Matthews? Yeah, I like that idea. Sure. Yeah. I, I thought that's what they the kind of thing that they should have looked to in the playoffs. Yeah. And didn't. Like, they they did it. You know, they actually they, they did should it. should have looked to it in February. Like they, Your point about that, you made that point repeatedly that they should have been trying stuff. And it showed in the playoffs when something well, that, didn't work. They hadn't tried enough. Like that's why I remember writing in, in November why it made sense to try Matthews and Marner. Because you never know when you might need it. So why not see if it worked? And at, to your point, in February and March, the playoff positioning was basically set. So like it didn't matter. No. Those so, games were meaningless and like... I mean, even just from a selfish perspective in the media, we would have liked to write about some like of these experiments, and they did nothing. Like they just kept running out what they were running out over and over again, and all these meaningless games against the Islanders and Montreal and Buffalo. It's baffling. It's completely baffling to me. Well, and they they became very complacent. The team did. Yes, I would agree with that. Well, and, and I found it weird in the playoffs. Like you've been using Neander in the second half at center when you've needed a center. And then the playoffs come, and you're like, oh, we can't trust him there. And obviously, Pukanic worked. But it's like the process of the idea didn't seem like it made... Or what about the penalty kill is a complete disaster, and you haven't tried anything else other than running out Ron Hainsey for a billion... Like, Yeah, that was unnecessary. Like, they should have had Dermot killing more penalties. Yes. They should have had Riley killing more penalties. In February and March, and see yeah. what, you know... And Janssen should have been on the team earlier. I mean, when he joined the team, it was like, holy cow, like this guy's way better than a bunch of the Fords they've been using all year. But the counterpoint to that is like, and, and Babcock made this point, and I'm not sure I disagree, is like you want those guys to be over ready. So when they come, they're just ready to play. And but that's what they did. And you're they in were these ready. meaningless games in February and March. That's the time to see how good they are. I mean, like you sure. were able to see it with Dermot right away. And it's like, okay, this guy's, remember the first like three games, it's like, this guy should be on the team. Like, what are they doing with, with their D if they don't have? him he he made Polak look so much better yeah he solidified that third pair regardless of who he played with what do you think happens to Polak now uh I think if Dubas is a GM he's not coming back he don't if Dubas is a GM he's and if it's someone else Polak probably does come back because I'm sure Babcock wants him I thought Polak was fine the last like two months of the year he was he in the playoffs he was fine the problem like with that, if you're Dubis and you bring him back, you know what's going to happen. He'll get played too much. Play. That, well, that was the problem. That was my 
problem with Polak is that he was getting 19 minutes a game instead of like he should be playing 13 or 14. Right. He should be your seventh D who's in and out of the lineup and like just well, know. and for part of the year he sort of was, but like you know when the when st- when shit is on the line, the coach is always going to go for someone like him as opposed to Carrick. So. But I think what they should have done is tried some different things and look at the results. And I like so I, so I during the playoffs and I haven't used this yet. I'll probably use it at some point. Dermot was in the penalty kill minute meetings. He was uh, watching the video and like doing it. And I talked to him about it and. He basically said they've been preparing him to be a penalty killer, and he knew when he made the NHL that he was going to be a penalty killer, and that that is like in his mindset of what he's, you know, with the Marlies they have been. He said in junior he wasn't really so much of a penalty killer, and with the Marlies they've been training him to be that. So I expect that next year we're going to see him do that, especially if Polak's gone. I think Dermot's going to be a regular penalty killer, but they hadn't tried it during the regular season barely at all, so they couldn't go to that in the playoffs. Well, one of the things that like the criticisms of Babcock, and I think it's it's fair. Sometimes he goes safe, like he goes for what he knows and like he goes for the safe option as opposed to like going hard and like trying to, you know what I mean? Like the Neander case was always a good one for me is like, yes, you might, you're, you're probably a little nervous about what will happen in the defensive end, but like you're making yourself so much scarier offensively, like force it into the opposition's hand where they have to like kind of think about you. I think that's what Tampa does. So we didn't mention Bab Sox. We're sponsored by Bab Sox. Are you wearing your Bab socks today? Yeah. yeah, you got your purple ones, the yeah. Cam H. Yeah. So I, I, did I tell this story on the podcast about how I accidentally wore Bab socks to a availability? No. <laughs> Recently? It, yeah, it was like a month ago. It was like at, near the end of the season. I got home and I was like, oh my God, I'm wearing Bab. I was wearing the ones with where Babcock's got a giant mustache. Those are good ones. Did he see? No. No, I didn't even notice. I just, like, I took my boots off or whatever. I was like, oh, my God. I thought I was wearing, we have these socks that are the athletic socks, and they look the exact same, aside from the fact that the ones have Babcock with a mustache. Anyway, buy Bab socks, sign up to The Athletic. If you want 40% off, send me a message on Twitter. I'll give you 40% off of of The Athletic, not of Bab socks. (laughs) All right, we'll be back next week with more questions and maybe a new GM to talk about. I guess we'll see. See you, James. Thanks for tuning in to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle.